You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com. Good to come together. Uh, just uh, welcome to those joining us online again this morning. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. Uh, if you want to just let us know you are with us by just indicating that on whatever platform you're using, that would be great. And uh, just a reminder, guys, Friday is Secret Church, right? Now, continued creativity, right? Okay, how can we do it this year? Um, Last year, maybe we had a little bit of appetite to do it by ourselves at home, but maybe not so much this year, all right? So uh, we're doing it here at the gym. If you've been with us for a while, you remember we used to do it that way. We used to come here at the gym. So we're going to be meeting here uh, this coming Friday, and it's kind of like it's, it's something we survive, we do together, right? Like it's like you get this fire hose of teaching for like six hours, and you leave uh, understanding the topic a whole lot more than when you came in, right? And so this year focuses on the Great Commission. I think that's something we're all supposed to be doing, right? right? So we should know what we're talking about with that. So I uh, really want to encourage you guys to come to do that on Friday night. You can register um, online. If you don't know how to do that, just stop at the Connect table on the way out. It'd be great to have everyone there, and uh, uh, it should be a great time together. Well, we're going to continue our study of Romans 8 this morning, and um, one of the things that you'll notice as you go through the New Testament over and over again is that uh, we need to understand who we are, and who we are should be matched up with our actions, but over and over again, it's like, okay, please understand your identity, now live like this, and uh, there's a story of an artist back in the 1800s. His name was Paul Gustave, Gustave Dor, and he was like a famous artist. Maybe if you like art, you'd understand who that guy is. I'm not sure who he was. But what happened in him, he was traveling through Europe, and he lost his passport. And he got to the point where he had to cross the border, and he's like, man, I really hope somebody recognizes me when I come to the border, and they'll let me through without my passport. And... Uh, they, they, you know, they were talking to him, and they're like, look, a lot of people claim to be somebody to just try to get across the border, but you know, how do we really know that you're who you say you are? And he claimed to be this famous artist, and they said, okay, fine. Here's a pencil and paper. Draw, and there was like some pheasants nearby. They had draw those pheasants. And he done it so well, so quickly, they're like, okay, this guy is truly who he says he is. His actions matched with his identity. And so it must be for those of us who are in Christ. But as you understand who you are, it's just as important that you understand whose you are. As we're going to look this morning, there's really two different groups in this world. Those whose king is self and those whose king is the king of kings. There's those who are walking in the flesh and there's those who are walking in the Spirit. Really, only two groups. And we're going to be looking at verses 5 to 8. He's going to say, here are the characteristics of those who are in the flesh. Here are the characteristics of those who walk in the Spirit. And then he's going to continue to, to talk to us about who our, our identity in Christ as believers is that we have the Spirit, 9 through 11, and what that means for our past, present, and future and so this morning, as we go through this text, I'm praying that you would look at the evidence in your life. Are you someone who is characteristically of the flesh, or are you someone who's of the Spirit? If you are of the Spirit, then your, then your salvation is guaranteed. If you're of the flesh this morning, and you understand that based on the evidence, I'm praying that you would understand how you would become a person of the Spirit by repenting of your sin and giving your life to Christ this morning. So this is a really important time. This is, uh, we're going to be looking at the, this is what's true, either of the flesh or the spirit. And then next time we come together on Romans 8, we're going to be looking at, so this is what I do about it. Right? So this is like more, this is your 
identity, these are the characteristics, and then next time it will be like, and so now live like this. So we need to understand this before we get going. So let me pray for us, and then let's study together. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. Lord, we understand that the Bible that, Lord, you've given us is your message to us. God, we, we know you. We understand who you are based on these words. And God, we desire this morning that your spirit would lead us and guide us. What a gift, Lord, you've given to every one of your children, that the spirit of God lives within us. God, I pray that the wonder of that would not be lost on us this morning that our hearts would be renewed, that we would leave rejoicing, understanding our identity in you. God, I thank you that you know every heart here this morning. And Lord, I'm mindful of what Jeremiah 17 says, that the heart is deceitful above all else. God, if there be anyone here this morning who just knows about you, but truly, Lord, is not in you, God, would you reveal that to them this morning? Would you show them that? and be gracious to them and grant them repentance. Lord, for those of us who are your children today, I, I pray that we would be rejoicing as we leave here this morning about all that you've given us in your spirit. So God, would you lead us now? Would you equip us? Would you transform us for your glory and for your honor? It's your name we pray. Amen. All right, so Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at verses 5 through 11 this morning, Romans 8, 5 through 11. If you have a Bible, please open that up. If you have it on an app, that's great too. Uh, but we want to look down at God's Word together. This is our authority. This is what guides us. This is what leads us. We don't have to guess what God is thinking. He has told us in His Word. So let me read verses 5 through 11. For those who live according to the flesh... Set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind in the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. If the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through His Spirit who dwells in you. So, as we set this up this morning, I think it's really important that we understand verses 5 through 8 is simply talking about the characteristics of the flesh and of the spirit. It's talking about the person who is unsaved and the person who is saved. Later on, he's going to be talking about now that you're a believer, now that you're in the spirit, make sure you do this about the flesh. But what he's referring to here in verses 5 through 8 is like, this is who these people are. This is their state. If you're in the flesh, this is what you look like. If you're in the spirit, this is what you look like. Look like. And so we're going to be looking at the characteristics both of the flesh and of the spirit. And then verses 9 through 11, we'll look at the characteristics of the converted, which of course is the same as those people who are in the spirit. So first, let's look at the characteristics of the flesh. We're just going to look at in verses 5 through 8, we're just going to look at the flesh first, and then we're going to come back and look at the Spirit. As we look at this, we first see in the first word in verse 5 is what? For. He's continuing his thinking from earlier. And what he has just said is that they can only fulfill God's righteous requirement through the Spirit. That's the only way that can happen. And now he's explaining why that is. Why? Because if you're in the flesh, this is your story. This is what you can do in regards to pleasing God. This is what you can do in regards to walking in his requirements. And what we'll see is it's not great. If you're in the flesh, you have zero chance of pleasing God, as we ended there in verse 8. 
But let's look at the different characteristics. First, we see the focus of the flesh. Verse 5. For those who live according to the flesh, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the flesh. This is true of every person who walks in the flesh. Of course, we know that the majority of people walking on this planet right now, this is what's true of them. They set their minds on the flesh. Now, to be in the flesh, Dot helps us out here, this is the whole of our humanness viewed as corrupt and unredeemed. It's our fallen, egocentric human nature, or more briefly, the sin-dominated self. When we talk about the flesh, we're talking about the sin-dominated self, where self is the king. This person, they live for the flesh, they live in the flesh, and they seek to satisfy the desires of the flesh. What can I do for me is the focus. To set the mind. It's not simply the mind here. Let me, again, quote from Stott. He says this, to set the mind on the desires of the flesh or the spirit, because we're going to see both, there's those who set their mind on on the flesh and those on the spirit, is to make them the absorbing objects of thought, interest, affection, and purpose. It is a question of what preoccupies us. What do you spend your time thinking about, dwelling upon? It's the ambitions which drive us, the concerns which engross us, of how we spend our time, our energies, of what we concentrate on and give ourselves up to. All this is determined by who we are. Right? So if you're of the flesh, this is what you do. You you, you set your mind on the things of the flesh. You're, 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 you're continually questioning, thinking about how do I get what I want is what it looks like when you're in the flesh. This person, we see it uh, does this, the verb tense being present tense, does this habitually, continually. This is the, the hallmark of his life is to seek out the things of the flesh. We flip back to Romans chapter 3. We understand that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is our default position. When we come to this earth, this is what we do. We seek out self. What can I get? Romans 3 says that there is no one who does good. No one seeks after God. And that we are slaves to our sinful desires. This is the focus of the the flesh. Secondly, we see the failure of the flesh. Verse 6, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. Without Christ, without being in the Spirit, we are dead spiritually. There's some who kind of have some kind of religious life and, and some who do some kind of good works, but When it comes to the spiritual life, when it comes to what really matters, we are dead without Christ. Ephesians 2.1 says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. And so we're spiritually dead in this life. We are unable to do that which we ought to do. We have no power to do so, nor do we have any desire to do so. And our destiny is not only physical death, but eternal death. So all of our focus ultimately is deadly. It is one where we are spiritually dead, which results in the physical death, which leads to the eternal death. Third characteristic of the flesh, we see the fellowship of the flesh. The mind, verse 7, that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. There is no kind of third category. You're either for God or you're against God, right? Anybody who's like, well, I don't know. I'm really, if he's there, I'm, you know, I'm sure I'd like him. It's no, like I'm really, you know, I'm not hostile towards him. I'm not, I'm not against him. That's not true. If you're not in Christ, you are hostile to God. Other passages tell us that we are enemies of him. When a person hears God's word, as we've been learning in Romans, what happens? 
You want to do the opposite. He says, up, you say down. He says, black, you say white. <clears throat> Our whole life is built in rebellion against him. This is, again, our default position, hostility towards God. We all have our different reasons why we would think that, why I shouldn't follow God's law. We think, go back to the garden, there's like, well, he's holding something back from us. That's why we can't follow his word. His word is actually not good, it's actually bad. God is not someone who is going to do what's right for us. He's actually taking what would be good for us. He's a killjoy. There's all kinds of different reasons people think that they shouldn't follow God's Word. They think that the authority of self is better than the authority of God's Word. And even as those of us who are in Christ, we can be tempted to think that same way. That God's Word isn't what we should follow. MacArthur puts it like this, The unbeliever's problem is much deeper than acts of disobedience, which are merely outward manifestations of inward, inner fleshly compulsions. His basic inclinations and orientation toward gratifying himself, however outwardly religious or moral he may appear, are directly hostile to God. Even the good deeds unbelievers perform are not truly a fulfillment of God's law because they are produced by the flesh for selfish reasons and from a heart that is in rebellion. This is what is true of everyone who is apart from Christ. If you're not in Him, you are against Him. There is, again, no middle ground here. You cannot submit to, you do not submit to God's law. And it even says this, indeed, you cannot. Again, as we've been studying in Romans, the whole point of the law was to show us that we don't measure up. You cannot fulfill God's law. You fail in your flesh every time. You are unable to do what he asks you to do. And then Paul ends with a shocking statement about the flesh. Here we see the fruit of the flesh. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Impossible. And a lot of times an unbeliever would be like, I don't know, you know, if there's a heaven or not, but, you know, I'm sure if there is, when I get, that, you know, when I get to judgment day, he'll be okay with me and I'll get in somehow. Listen to what the word says. It says you are not pleasing to God. If you are in the flesh, you are not pleasing to Him. God is not happy with you. He is against you. Paul has stated clearly that left to ourselves, it is impossible to please God. We have no power or ability to please God. Not now, not ever. In your flesh, you are unable to please God. Adrian Rogers, talking about the state of the flesh, he puts it like this. There is a cruel despot that wants to rule over your life and keep you in bondage. He is beyond the shadow of doubt your worst enemy. And if you want to see more about him, then go look in the mirror. His name is Self, King Self. His throne is in the human heart. His kingdom consists of three people, I, myself, and me. He comes from a dynasty. It began with Adam, and it continues on down to this present age. Self wants to rule in your heart. Your problem in life is not your weakness. Your problem in life is the strength of King Self, who is ruling over you. So this morning, I have to ask myself, does this define me? Is this what my life looks like? Am I a person who is walking in the flesh? If you've never bowed your knee to the King of kings and Lord of lords, if you've never repented of your sin, then King Self rules your life. And we have all kinds of great words to try to cover that up today, right? Well, like, who out there is like, yeah, for sure I'm selfish, right? 
Everybody understands that to be selfish is not a great thing to be like bragging about, right? So we, we kind of dress it up, right? You got to take care of yourself and you got to love yourself and you got to, you know, like for the sake of others, of course, right? But the focus is always on self. That's apart from Christ, that's who we are. And guess what? Is self ever satisfied? Never satisfied. Always demanding, enslaving. The person in the flesh is enslaved to try to satisfy the flesh, but finds that he is never satisfied. This person is dead spiritually, with only death in their future, hostile to God and unable to please him. And this morning, if you're here or you're listening online and you've never repented of your sin and placed your trust in Christ, this is who you are despite what you might think of yourself. This is your state. And I'm praying this morning that God would help you to see that. And that you would also see that he's made a way that you don't have to be ruled by King's self any longer. The contrast between life in the flesh and the life in the spirit could not be more. Let's see the difference now. What are the characteristics of the spirit? Look again back at verse 5. It says, but those who live according to the Spirit, what do they do? They set their minds on the things of the Spirit. It's a continual lifestyle. It is, the, it is their focus. Again, again, it's the same wording. Not just setting the mind, but my whole preoccupation is to think about what is of the Spirit. This is my habit if I'm in Christ, if I'm in the Spirit. My absorbing objects of thought, interest, and affection and purpose are on the Spirit on the things of the Spirit. And this happens as a person humbles himself before God, understanding that they are unable to please God in themselves in any way. Jerry Bridges puts it like this, believers are 100% responsible and 100% dependent on the Spirit. This is not good math, but good Bible. And note that it's not saying like some falsely teach, let go and let God. That's not what this is saying. He puts it like this. It's more like this. Let God and let's go. Right? My focus is on the Spirit, on His ability to do what only He can do, to, to set my mind on the things of God, and then to say, okay, Lord, now use me. I want to do whatever you want me to do. And the focus then is on self-distrust and focuses on him and him alone. The person who is of the Spirit will be focused in this way. It's a statement of fact. Again, remember that. Again, as we will get to verses 12 and 13, we'll see that there's still a battle with the flesh, but if you are in Christ today, then you have the Spirit of God, and this should be the pattern of your life where you're continually considering the things of the Spirit. The Spirit seeks us to, to grow us in our love and knowledge of Christ so that we might be more and more like Him. This is the focus of those who live according to the Spirit. Then we see the fortune of the Spirit. Before we've seen the failure of the flesh, now we see the fortune of the Spirit. But to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Is life and peace. With flesh, it's death. But with the Spirit, it's life. Romans 6.11 reminds us that we are now alive in Christ Jesus. This word for life, zoe, it's the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, which alone belongs to God, the giver of life. This is life as God originally intended to be lived. When you come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you are now fully able to live, finally, on this earth, to live in such a way as he had preordained before it all began, before sin came into this world. To, to Instead of living a life of death, now you are living a life in the Spirit. Thank you, brother. John 10.10 10 says this, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Jesus says, I've come that they might have life and have it abundantly. The great lie of Satan, the great lie of self is that we're giving up something so great if we are to come to Christ, but what instead we receive is life, true life, instead of death. 
In the Spirit, we can act and think and speak in such a way that at the end of the day, there are no regrets. We can live a life of joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. How incredible is that? If you look back on your, on your day and you're like, check, check, check. How has that happened? It is only by living in the Spirit. This is the life set apart for God. This is the fruit of the Spirit that is seen in a life whose mind is set on the Spirit. So that is the fortune of the Spirit. We have life instead of death. Then we see the fellowship of the Spirit. That last word in verse 6, peace. Before Christ, you were hostile to God. You were, you were angry at Him. You hated Him. You shook your fist at Him. And God seen you as His enemy. But now in Christ, you have peace with God. It's an incredible thing. Through Jesus Christ, we've been given peace with Him. Back in Romans 5, 1, it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Christ, we have peace with God. He is no longer our enemy. He is for us and will be for all of eternity. Jesus took our sins and God poured out his wrath against Christ instead of us and gave us his righteousness. And so forevermore we will be with him. Not only do we have peace with God, but we have what? Peace with one another. We have peace with one another as a result of what Christ has done. That's a good word this morning, isn't it? A little bit of hostility going on in our world, not just against God, but against one another. And may we be reminded that if we are in the Spirit this morning, that we have peace with one another, and we should live accordingly. When King Self is off the throne, then we are able to love. We no longer look to our own interests, but we look to others' interests as more important than our own. This is what it means to live in the Spirit. Peace with God and peace with one another. Then we consider the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the flesh is that we cannot be pleasing to God. What about those who are in the Spirit? Can we be pleasing to God now? The writer of Hebrews reminds us of how it is that we might be able to be pleasing to God. It starts with faith. Hebrews eleven six, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. If you want to be pleasing to God, then you must come to Him in faith. It is only the person who recognizes their sin. It is only the person who recognizes that they need to be reconciled to Christ, or sorry, to God, and who has placed their faith in Christ who can be pleasing to Him. And then we are now able to be pleasing to Him because God has given you His Spirit. Let me just give you a picture of what that looks like in Colossians 1, 9 to 11. This is Paul's prayer for the believer. Colossians 1, 9 to 11. I encourage you to write these things down and, and look them up for yourself later, later. But just look at what he says. Colossians 1, 9. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you will be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Just, just consider what it means to live in the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit based just on this verse. If you're living in the Spirit, then you are bearing fruit in every good work. Secondly, you're increasing in the knowledge of God. That's why the Spirit of God has come, that we might 
grow in our knowledge of God, in our knowledge of Christ. Thirdly, we are strengthened by what? His glorious might. I don't know if I have the power. You have the power because the Holy Spirit lives within you. You yourself, no, you don't have it. But he who lives in you has given you the power. Fourth, we see that if we are in the Spirit, then we have the ability to endure, to be patient. And then to sum it all up, as he said in the middle of all this, we are fully pleasing to the Lord. In the flesh, cannot ever be pleasing to God. In the Spirit, we can be fully pleasing to Him. Again, they could not be more different. The person in the flesh versus the person in the Spirit. So, whose are you this morning? Are you of the flesh? Are you of King Self? Or are you of the Spirit and of Christ? This is the question that now Paul asks in verse 9. Here we see the characteristics of the converted. Characteristics of the converted. If you want to go from flesh to spirit, then you must have been converted. You must have had a change. You must be born again. First, the characteristic of the converted is that the spirit resides. The spirit resides in you. We see this in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh but of the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. So he's like, he's been talking, okay, just so we're clear, how, why is it that you can only fulfill the righteous requirement of the law by being in the Spirit? Let me show you. I think he's made a really clear place as to why that is, right? Flesh can do anything. Spirit, more than able to through Him. Now, he says, now, let me just talk to you guys. Who is he writing to? He's writing to believers. So he says, you're not in the flesh, right? That's not true of you. You're not, not pleasing to God. You are in the Spirit, if, in fact, the Spirit of God dwells in you. So the, he's saying, let, look, is he in you? Is the Spirit of Christ living in you? Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So anyone who teaches that you get saved, you come to faith in Christ, and then maybe if you do the right thing, then you'll get the Holy Spirit. That is wrong, right? If you're in Christ, you have the Spirit. It's true of every believer. Every, spirit, every, every, every believer has the Spirit living in them. If you do not have the Spirit, then you're not in Christ. So again, you need to look at the evidence in your life. Is there evidence that the Spirit of God is living in me? If He is not living in me, then I should have no assurance that I am saved, that I am in Christ. There should be a marked change in my life. There's a marked change because look at what He says about the Spirit of God. He dwells in you. What an incredible thought dwells, a settled, permanent, penetrative influence from the time you come to faith in him till the time that you die. Under the new covenant, the Spirit of God does not come and go. If you're in Christ, then you're given the Spirit for life, for all of your life. In the Old Testament, you see this Spirit coming on them and then leaving them, King Saul, he had the Spirit of God for a time, and then he left him. Not true for any believer. The Spirit of God dwells in you. So, does the Spirit of God dwell in you this morning? Are you sure of this? Here's some questions to ask yourself. Has the Spirit led you to Jesus do you know him? Do you love him? Does he know you? Has the Spirit put in you the desire to honor Jesus? Do you long to worship him? Is the Spirit leading you to be more like Jesus? Do you love him in his ways? 
Is the Spirit at work in your heart? We see here that the Spirit is given to all who belong to Christ. It reminds us that we have been bought by Him, that we have been redeemed through His blood. A good parallel passage to just put more light on what we're talking about here this morning is 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says this, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Every one of you are now the new temple. Is that incredible to think, right? You think about the Old Testament and what that looked like, the Holy Spirit residing in the Holy of Holies. That's where God dwelt. Now, in, under the new covenant, he dwells within your hearts. You are not your own, he continues, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This should be the longing of the person who is filled with the Spirit. They want to glorify the Lord in their bodies. So, this morning, if you are in Christ, the Spirit resides. Secondly, we see that the Spirit refines. The Spirit refines, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now, one thing that's interesting to note, if you look at verses 9 and 10, he keeps using these different words, right? Use the Spirit, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ. And now he says, if Christ is in you, what's going on here? Why is he using all these different words to talk about the Spirit? Well, it reminds us again that we serve a God who is triune, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. The Spirit of God is also the Spirit of Christ. Yet, each person is separate, right? Moose says it like this, We should not conclude from this that the Spirit and Christ are identical only that they are inseparable in terms of the saving benefits communicated to believers. So when we think about the Spirit, we see that He relates to the Father, that He relates to Christ, and that He Himself is God. And it's through the work of the Spirit that He seeks to conform us, what? Into the image of Christ. Spirit is here to conform us into the image of Him, into the image of Christ. Kent Hughes says this, as we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us, we are filled with the ethos of Jesus. And life becomes more and more to us what it was and is to Him. And so as the Spirit has His way in our lives, we look a whole lot like Jesus. So then he says, Bad news and good news. Bad news is this. The body is dead because of sin. Even if you are in Christ this morning, you need to understand this. That your body is dead because of sin. You're going to die. Did you guys know that? Like from the moment that you start that first breath, Right? You, you, you come out of the womb, you, you, you cry out, you take that breath, there's a death sentence on you. Why? Sin. Sin. We're all going to die in different ways. Some get the easy route, right? Go to sleep, wake up in heaven. I, I'm, I'm all for that one. That would be good. Right? There's all kinds of ways that we die. Like two years ago, we not, didn't know what COVID was, right? That's a new way people die now. And there will be new ways, right? Bullets, right? A couple of centuries ago, nobody was dying of bullets and bombs, right? But we all die. Different ways, but we die. Why? Because we have a death sentence over this flesh. This flesh will die. 
Lloyd Jones puts it like this: the moment we entered into this world we begin and begin to live, we also begin to die. Your first breath is one of the last you will ever take. The principle of decay leading to death is in every one of us. It reminds us of what God said in the garden. If you do this, if you sin, you will surely die. And that curse remains on every person. So this body will die. Even though we've been made alive in the Spirit. It says the Spirit is life because of righteousness. Now we could talk a really long time. Kevin here this morning, Kevin. Who has a New American Standard? Anyone have a New American Standard here this morning? Okay. Big S or small S? In the Spirit, in verse 10. It is a small, right? I believe. Okay. And if you are ESV, it's a capital S. What's going on here? It's a translation issue. The word is pneuma. It can mean our spirit, or it can mean the Holy Spirit, and so some translate it Holy Spirit based on what they see here, and some translate it our spirit. Now, at the end of the day, we can still get there the same way, okay? So I believe, personally, I believe that small s is a good translation because I think what he's doing, he's contrasting, hey, your body, it's going to die, but your spirit is alive. Now, if we understand anything about what we've just been reading, how is it that my spirit is alive? Because of the Holy Spirit, right? My spirit is alive because of the Holy Spirit. So you can see why they go back and forth on this translation. The proof of this new righteousness being given to us through Christ is that we, our spirit has been made alive through the Holy Spirit. West puts it like this, this, the believer's spirit is alive in that the Holy Spirit energizes it with divine life, which is righteous in its equality. Eternal life is not only unending in its nature, but also ethical and spiritual in its content. And so we are now righteous in Christ. The proof of that is that we are now alive in Him. And so we, the Spirit resides, it refines, and lastly we see that the Spirit resurrects. We see not only our past, our present, we see our future. We see our future. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, that's a pretty, again, incredible thought, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Even though you will die on this earth, a physical death, you will not remain dead. You will be resurrected. How is that possible? Because the same spirit of him, of the Father, who raised Christ from the dead, dwells in you. It's a guarantee of life to come. You can understand why we can say, if you are in Christ, you can be assured of your salvation. Why? Because the Spirit of God is doing it all. One day, you will be resurrected. This old body will die. But then it says that your body will come to life. This mortal body will be given life. What does that look like? 1 Corinthians 15, 53 to 55. 1 Corinthians 15, 53 to 55. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? This mortal body will put on immortality. That's what's coming. How? Through the power of the Spirit. Philippians 21 tells us that these lowly bodies, what we currently have, will be made, will be given glorious new bodies. And so we will have a new body, a body that's no longer tempted by sin, 
that's no longer weak, and we will be able to glorify and honor the Lord for all of eternity. Is that good news this morning? So if the Spirit of God dwells in you, everyone who is in Christ this morning, the Spirit resides, refines, we are now righteous in Him through Christ, and now we all also look forward to the fact that the Spirit resurrects. So, this morning, I understand if your week was anything like my week, you could have been distracted in many, many different ways. And as you consider tomorrow, you could be thinking, like, what's going to happen tomorrow? Like, what's going to happen this next week? What's going to happen this next month? And, and there's all this uncertainty, and you're going to, right? And we get caught up in it, and like somehow we're going to be able to do anything about it, right? Like, sure, guess away, but it doesn't really matter. Like, tomorrow will take care of itself, the Bible tells us. Let's take what we've read this morning, which is a sure word. You don't know what will happen. You don't know the events that are going to take place. But we do know this. This is certain. I pray this morning that all of you can say, this I know for sure. I once was. I was that guy. I had all the characteristics of the guy in the flesh. That's how I was born onto this earth. No one, can, no one here this morning cannot say that's who I once was. I'm just praying that you're not saying that's who I am. But who, was you, who were you? you? You were someone who had me on the throne. That's who you were. And your whole focus was death, spiritual death. You were unable to bring glory to God in any way. You were hostile towards him. You hated his ways. You did not want to walk in his ways, nor did you have the ability or the desire to do so, and you were not pleasing to God. I once was, but God, right? But God, I pray that everyone here this morning can have a a but God story that has a but God story. I'm no longer in the flesh. I am now in the Spirit. This morning, I'm in the Spirit And my desires, my focus is on the Spirit, on the things of God. I want to be pleasing to Him. I want to bring glory and honor to Him. And so every day when I wake up, I consider what would bring glory and honor to Him. I pick up the Bible and I focus on what it says that I might be led by His Spirit instead of my deceitful heart. And I dwell on these things. It is my passion, my interest as I go through my day. I'm now alive in Him and will be alive for all of eternity. No longer is God my enemy. He's my friend. If a few verses we're going to get to. I'm now a child of God. I've been adopted by Him. How incredible is that. That's my life now. That's my focus now. I'm able now to be pleasing to Him. The Spirit of God indwells me now and for all of my life on this earth, and then I will be with Him. He's made me right before Him, and one day I'll be resurrected before Him. This is our focus. This is now our life. Remember, your life is not what it once was. D.L. Moody says this, describing his conversion experience. I was in a world, sorry, I was in a new world. The next morning, the sun shone brighter and the birds sang sweeter. The old elms waved their branches for joy and all nature was at peace. Life in Christ is the abundant life. Let's not miss that this, this week as we go from this place. I get it. We're all discouraged. We're all with all these events that are going on in our world. But let's remember what we have in Him. Let that be our focus. Let the Spirit lead us in all that we say, all that we think, all that we do in this week for His glory and for His honor. Let me pray. Lord God, we are so thankful 
for the riches that we have in you. Through Christ, King Self has been defeated. And Lord, now we live for you. We live for you, not through any means of our own, but through the power of your Spirit. What a great reminder this morning. Lord, as we'll see, as we look at verses 12 and 13, Lord, we're still tempted to try to live out that old flesh. The old nature still wants to have its way in us, but God, we are so thankful that through the power of your Spirit, it doesn't have to anymore. That, Lord, we now have more than enough power to live a life that is pleasing to you. May we be characterized by being people of your Spirit. Lord, as we go through these days, Lord, may there be love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, gentleness, self-control seen in us as people look at us. Lord, may we be more and more conformed into the image of Christ through these events, through the work that, Lord, you are doing, both in us and through us. God, we want you to be glorified. Lord, we no longer seek to please self. We seek to please you. Lord, thank you that we are assured of our salvation because of this security of the Holy Spirit living within us. Lord, if there be anyone here this morning who does not have the Spirit dwelling within them, Lord, show them that. Be merciful, be gracious. And then, Lord, help them to see that today, that they might have the Spirit dwelling in them. If they would repent of their sin and place their trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.